welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word in our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new episode on the Living Parables podcast. And I'm also going to give a shout out to all of our listeners, whether you are here in the United States or if you're listening throughout the world, God is good. And I am so blessed that you're joining us today. So with that, we are in the middle of Passion Week. And we are about ready to celebrate, God willing, tomorrow the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so fitting is our episode today, which is the last seven words of Christ or the last seven sentences of Christ. And I just want you to understand that these last seven sentences that Jesus spoke on the cross are so incredibly powerful that I am so grateful that you are joining me today. And I don't mean to sound somber, but the truth is that this time is somber. Jesus died on a cross to set us free from the bondage of sin in which we would never, without His divine intervention, be able to overcome. And what He endured on the cross is beyond comprehension. He was marred beyond human likeness, pretty much beaten within an inch of his life, mocked, ridiculed, spears to the face, fists to the face, slapped, spit on, beard plucked out, scourged, And moreover than that, nailed to a cross in which the cross was meant for the worst of criminals. But Jesus, who is the Holy of Holies, took our place on that cross. So it's not so much being somber, it's being serious. And as I come upon this time every single year, the deeper I go with Christ, the more it hurts my heart as I study deeper and deeper what he went through and what he gave up and what it cost him. And so I'd like to challenge you, God willing, Tomorrow, if you are able to, 
at three o'clock. That is when Jesus took his final breath, which actually we're going to get into that here in a little bit. But Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I would just like you to join me in just remembering our Lord, remembering what he did, what he gave up, and that he took our sin upon himself. And he took the punishment that was ever so deserving of us, and he took it upon himself. So, that's the challenge. Good Friday, 3 o'clock. Just be in prayer. Just be mindful of Christ. Stop what you're doing and just think of him. Remember him. Because on the cross, he was thinking of you. So, with that being said... We're going to look at the last seven sentences that Jesus spoke on the cross. And I will tell you that these last seven words and these last seven sentences are just so jam-packed, even though most of them are just really, really short sentences. And I would also challenge you as well, if you would like a deeper look at the crucifixion. We have an episode that is entitled The Grim Reality of the Cross. And I will just say it is not for the faint of heart. I myself actually went back to go listen to it. And it is just as powerful as I recorded it over a year or so ago. And it just hits me to the core. Trust me, it's not like I like to hear my own voice. No one likes to hear their own voice. But I think that the truth that is on there is the truth. Truth is truth. Whether I want to hear my voice or not. And I'll just tell you something right now. It is really, really powerful. And it brings you into the reality of what Jesus physically went through. Spiritually, what he went through, I cannot even imagine. I believe that was far worse than the physical punishment that he went through. And so I just have to share that this is going to be uh, an episode that is just solely focused on Christ. But you know what the amazing part about Christ is before we really get started? Is that all of these sentences that he spoke were mostly about fulfilling prophecy. It was intercession for people. And that's just amazing. So we're going to dive right in. 
please turn with me to Luke 23, verse 34. And this is probably my favorite of the sayings that Jesus spoke on the cross. It says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. I want you to focus on the first part. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, Jesus looked down from the cross. And he looked down upon the cross upon a scene that had to have been just incredibly distressing to him. You know, you have the Roman soldiers that were pretty much gambling for his clothes. You have criminals on crosses on the either side of him. And, you know, they were reviling him. They were mocking him. You had the religious leaders who were mocking him. The crowd was blaspheming his name. He was surrounded by the most unworthy of people. Which is funny because only Jesus has the right to throw out condemnation. And yet here we are, sinful people, throwing out blasphemous things and mocking him and ridiculing him. And yet we have no business doing that. And that prayer, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing is a prayer of unparalleled love and mercy. Even in Jesus' most agonizing moments, his concern was for the forgiveness of those who counted themselves among his enemies. He asked God to forgive all those people. Even Even the people... The soldiers that whipped his back, one lash short of death. Even the Pharisees who devised a scheme in order to have him arrested in an unfair trial. They broke so many laws because of their gnashing of teeth anger towards the holiness of Jesus Christ. Because he testified that their deeds were evil. So, Jesus was praying for forgiveness for them. And you know what he really demonstrated? He demonstrated the putting into practice of what he preached on. He had taught in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, who was the persecuted, prayed for his persecutors. 
He loved his enemies, although he didn't count them as enemies. And you know what? He had every right to do so, and yet he did not, which is, <laughs> it's beyond comprehension. It truly is. So that was number one. Number two is found in Luke 23, 10 verses later, verse 43. In this amazing passage of Scripture, what we encounter here is something truly amazing. Now, I just set the scene of what was happening at the cross. Jesus was in the middle of two criminals. One criminal had a change of heart. He asked Jesus to remember him when he went to his kingdom. In those short words there, my friends, that sinner, that criminal, on the cross, his cross, he had much time to think, didn't he? I mean, there is no escape in the cross. You can't escape death from the cross. The Romans were excellent professionals at crucifixion. They can make it last as long as they wanted, or they can shorten it up however long they wanted. It was that, it was that simple. They were that good at it. Experts in death. Yet this sinner, the one criminal, started having a change of heart. Now, could it possibly have been that he heard Jesus speaking at some point or another? Maybe. Those are pure speculations. We don't know that. But what we do know is that something happened inside of him. God was stirring his heart. Jesus, just a few feet away, stirred his heart towards repentance. And he was convicted of the things that he was guilty of. So I'd like to share a few verses surrounding verse 43 that will really bring this into context. Because as you know, we don't like to pluck verses out of thin air and and exposit them without exactly going through them in context. So right before Jesus said, truly I say to you, you today you shall be with me in paradise. This is what the thief said in verses 39 through 41. Listen to this exchange. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one, now this is the one we're talking about here, rebuked him and said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Here is the verse right here. Here is the verse. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. 
but this man has done nothing wrong. Do you see why it is so important to read things in a context? Verse 41 is huge. He is acknowledging that he is a sinner. Most sinners do not do that, people. They justify their actions. He is saying that God is just in condemning him as a wretched, vile sinner. For the wages of sin is what? Death. He says, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done nothing wrong. He is saying that Jesus is sinless. He is acknowledging Jesus Christ. Isn't that truly amazing? And then I have to share this with you right now because this is truly amazing stuff. Listen to verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. What kingdom is he talking about? A physical earthly kingdom? How could that be possible since he's on the cross and he's not getting down? Well, it's the heavenly kingdom where he sits triumphantly today. Name above all names, King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And verse 43, here is the second one. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This man, this criminal, put his trust and faith completely in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he was with Christ in paradise, as Jesus promised. And this can be for you today. Have you put your complete trust and faith in Christ? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you been fighting him for so long for control? To do it your way? Have you truly looked at yourself and see yourself as a wretched, vile sinner deserving of death? Because the Bible, if you read it, condemns you pretty quick. And when you truly read the Bible in context, written as God made it to be, and the way he intended it, you will see very quickly that we are sinners deserving of death and hell. Yet Jesus Christ stepped down off the throne into this earth less than what he was, humbled himself in obedience to God on a cross to take your sins and my sins and be nailed upon a cross to forgive them 
so that we can be justified before God Almighty himself. And yet we resist, don't we? We resist. And I have no idea why we resist. But we do. So now let's look at sentence number three. Now turn with me to John, the 19th chapter, and we'll be looking at verses 26 through 27, which says, When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. Okay, two big points I want to make with this sentence that Jesus spoke, number three, is that Jesus committed his mother's care into the disciple John's hands. And I find that very interesting because Jesus actually had relatives brothers and sisters from his mother Mary. And he did not commit his mother's care to them, but rather the disciple John. So that's point number one. And the other point I want to make is this just shows how compassionate, how merciful, and how loving Jesus Christ really is. He is looking after the provision of his own mother while he's literally dying on the cross. He's taking care of her. And I just, how do you not fall in love with that? How do you not fall in love with that kind of love? And I just, look at this and it makes me want to be a better son. And it makes me also realize that there are some people in this world that are not blood relatives that are closer to you than blood relatives, which you know, at times should not be. And I think that's one of the greatest things that God has so blessed us with is we have people in our lives that we can connect with and bond with and have a close relationship with and it doesn't have to be blood. But in a way, it is by blood because through the blood of Christ, we who were strangers at one point are now brother and sister. That's so amazing to me. But Jesus was and is the absolute perfect son. And he has given us the model on how to take care of our families and our loved ones, even through the most perilous of times. So let's now look at point number four, or I should say sentence number four 
which is found in Matthew 27, verse 46. And I'll just share this with you right now. This is one of the most hardest hitting of all the sentences Jesus spoke. Verse 46 says this, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, boy, I tell you what, this is this is loaded. And I'll tell you, this is this is something that's been hitting me a lot harder now that I'm drawing closer and closer with God. And this is not putting me on some kind of a pedestal, but this is the honest truth. And here we are with one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful statements that Jesus ever made on the cross. And a lot of people are wondering and have wondered in the past on why he said this. Jesus was expressing his feelings of abandonment as God the Father placed the sins of the world upon him. And, you know, we say that so easily. That just flows off our tongue that God put the sins of the whole world and my sins I would ever commit upon his son. And we say that and it becomes watered down and it becomes routine. And may that never be. And because God the Father had to put the sins of you and me and the world upon his shoulders, God had to kind of, quote unquote, turn away from Jesus. You know, as Jesus, Jesus was feeling the weight of the sins of this world, he was experiencing a separation from God and this is the kicker here. This is the gut punch for the first time in all of eternity. And this is also important because this quote here is a prophetic statement. And I'm going to turn real quick to Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is prophecy. And so the fact that Jesus, the fact that God the Father and the Holy Spirit have never been separate from one another because they are the timeless ones. There is no time with them. They are the self-existent ones. And God had to create time. And I said this a little bit earlier. Jesus had to step down into time. And going with the theme here, this was the only time that Jesus was ever separate from his Father. And you have to take that and you really have to understand that he did that for you. And that just 
goes beyond all comprehension. And so as we are experiencing these statements, and Jesus is saying these before he dies, before he takes his final breath, before he lays down his life, we have to we have to really think about these things we have to we have to meditate on these things so it it's just one of those things you just have to you have to take the time you have to take the time and do it so boy my god my god why have you forsaken me Imagine what kind of spiritual torture he was going through at that point. Because God cannot be in the presence of sin. Because God detests sin. And Jesus became that. Unreal. It's unreal. Yeah, that just goes to show you how much he loves you. All right, let's look at sentence number five. Turn back with me to John, the 19th chapter. And actually, the next two are going to be in John 19. And they're two verses separate from each other, which makes it pretty, pretty easy for us. So, John 19... Verse 28 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. I want to reemphasize the beginning of verse 28. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, as he was in the final stages of this redemptive plan being fulfilled and accomplished, I can only imagine that in his absolute worst of the worst pain, you and me on his mind. Knowing that one day we'd be talking about him on a podcast and you would be listening on the podcast and him smiling because he knows and he foreknew that however means that you came to know Christ, that you know him, that through his shed blood on the cross, through our trust and faith in that, in the resurrection and in Jesus Christ alone, that we would be saved. But why did he say, I am thirsty? That's one of the questions. Why did he say, I am thirsty? Jesus was again fulfilling 
prophecy. So I'm going to turn real quick to Psalm 69.21, which says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. By saying he was thirsty, he prompted the Roman guards to give him vinegar, which was customary at a crucifixion, thereby fulfilling the prophecy. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he said, Lord, if you would take this cup from me, let it be so. And I'm paraphrasing here. But if you will let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. So, he was so driven, so full of the Spirit, that even in the worst of conditions, he was focused on fulfilling every single prophecy regarding him in Old Testament Scripture. And that is huge. Because only the Messiah, only God, could fulfill Scripture, could fulfill prophecy in the way Jesus Christ did. But here he fulfilled Scripture. Now let's look at number six. The sixth sentence Jesus said is found just two verses later. And this one's really simple. It says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And boy, <laughs> I just, I need a little bit of a minute here. Because Jesus' last words meant that his suffering was over. And the whole work his father had given him to do, which was to preach the gospel, work miracles, and obtain eternal salvation for his people, had been accomplished. Mission accomplished. Everything had been fulfilled. The debt of sin was fully paid. What a moment. What a moment. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's just incredible. And I could probably be a little more articulate here. I could probably say some more clever things. But you know what? I'm a simple guy. And it is finished. It needs to be on the forefront of our minds in this Resurrection Passion Week 
season. Because if it had not been finished, had he not fulfilled every piece of scripture, every piece of prophecy, he is not who he said he was. However, he fulfilled everything. And it truly was finished. So that through Christ and Christ alone, we can have the forgiveness of sins. Eternal life in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ, in heaven, is possible and is our future. Just give you a little foreshadowing. Our citizenship is not on this earth. It is in heaven. Jesus was always working on this earth nonstop. And yet he fulfilled it all. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He served his father, served his will, obedient to his will, obedient up until death. What a Lord, what a Savior. And last, but certainly not least, sentence number seven, found in Luke 23, verse 46, which says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So, here Jesus willingly gave up his soul into the Father's hands. Indicating that he was about to die. And that God had accepted his sacrifice. And I want to look at two pieces of scripture that really tie in to this so beautifully. The first piece of scripture is found in John chapter 10, verse 18, which says, No one has taken it away from me, this is Jesus talking, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commitment I have received from my Father. See, Jesus had all authority to lay his life down or take it up. So when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, this wasn't the world killing him. This is him giving up his life. Because that commandment he received from his father. He is the only one that has the authority or power to take his life or to raise it up. And by take his life, I mean to lay it down willfully. And the second passage of scripture is found in Hebrews 9.14. 
which says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He offered himself up without blemish to God, in which he then was the perfect propitiation for our sins to satisfy fully the wrath of God that was due to us in divine judgment. Jesus took that so that we did not have to. He bore the full cup of God's wrath upon himself so that we may have his righteousness so that we can stand right just holy without blemish in front of a holy righteous god it just doesn't get any better than that folks it doesn't get any better than that so these seven sentences are a different spin on what we normally do around this time of the year and I will just say this to you. Let this be a time of prayer. Let this be a time when you are so deep into Scripture that you have no idea where you end or begin. Only thing you're focused on is Christ, His Word, and your sanctification. My dear brothers and sisters, we are living in some very dark times, and I probably should keep a tally on how many times I say that to you. But I pray that you do not give up. I pray that you continue to fight the good fight of the faith, to keep running the race in such a way as to win the prize. Because Jesus did run the race in such a way as to win the prize. He bought and paid for our redemption. His eyes were always focused on his father and his work and his mission. And his mission was you. You remember the parable of the 99 sheep? Well, originally there was a hundred, then there was ninety-nine because the one went astray. The stray was you. The stray was me. And he loves you so much that if you were the only stray, the only sinner to ever sinned of all time. He still would have stepped down off the throne, came to this earth, die on a cross, and rise again for you. That's about as personal as it gets. Oh, what a love and oh, what a savior. So I pray that you continue in the faith, that you continue in God's word, that you 
keep progressing in your sanctification and your walk with the Lord. And during this time of resurrection, Passion Week, let this be a time of rejoicing. Let this be a time of prayer. Let this be a time where we shake off all the things that are hindering us, repent of those things, and just aggressively pursue the heart of Christ with everything that we have in us. Because he did that for us. And he's pursuing you today, calling you, come closer to me, walk closely with me, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.